0: Glad to be here with you this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, uh, it's been really cool the last couple of weeks to see several new faces. And so I always try to introduce myself. I'm Jason Durant. Uh, I don't introduce myself because I'm important. I introduce myself because if I was sitting in the seat, I'd be wondering the whole time who's the guy talking. All right. And so uh, I'm Jason Durant, blessed to be the lead pastor here of Dublin Bible Church, and so glad that you would hang out with us today. Um, one quick thing I want to just mention before we jump into. Uh, our time in God's Word. I just want to remind you, some of you really blessed my heart this past week, uh, sending me ways that I could pray for you. I'm asking you to do that. Um, man, I, we picked up a lot last week. Week one, it was kind of dry, but you guys came through last week, and uh, it's such an honor to be able to come either to my office or to come in this room and to know specifically how I can pray for you. I'm going to pray for you either way, right? That's the one thing. You're not going to be able to stop me from praying for you, all right? Um, I mean, you could try, but it's probably not going to work, right? So I would like to pray for you specifically and pray in line with what is going on in your life, hard circumstances, faith struggles, whatever it may be. Um, so let me know that. You can scan this QR code here on the screen. We've had people write it down on the little connect cards that you got. You can put those in the box in the back or hand them to me when we're done. You can email me, jason at com. but let me know how I can pray for you. I want to take that really seriously. I believe that's the most impactful, important thing I can do for you uh, as a church is pray for you because then we're calling God to action and not just my limited self. Right, so let me know how I can pray for you. All right, uh, keep doing that, and I'll just keep on bothering you until I'm praying for you really well. All right, there's that. Uh, we prayed just a moment ago. I want to give you just a second, as we do here sometimes, uh, just in, in the stillness of your own soul, or you could pray out loud if you'd like. But regardless of how you come, if you're angry with God, not sure there is a God, really excited about where you're at in your walk with Jesus, no matter how you come, here's a prayer we can all pray today if it's sincere, and it's just to say to God. God, if you'll speak to me, I'll listen. God, I would want to hear from you. I not just hear some guy talk up front, but I would want to know that you're pointing things into my heart. If that's you today, I'm going to give you just a couple of seconds, and you just tell that to God in your own way. God, if you'll speak to me, I'll listen. Please speak. You tell him, and then I'll pray for us briefly. God, how encouraging, how comforting for us to sing and just kind of sit in our dependence upon you. And so, God, we depend on you right now in your word. We depend on you by your spirit to open our eyes, to see your word. And we look to you, God, to lean into our lives in the loving, gracious way that only you can And point your word into our hearts. God, would you teach us? Would you encourage us? Would you lead us? Would you challenge us? Whatever it is you want to do in our lives individually, God. Whatever you want to do in us as a church. For every person that would say to you, they want to hear from you. God, I I ask you and I trust you to be present in those requests. God, let us leave here knowing we've been with you. Without that, God, this time is empty. We love you. We want to love you more than we do. Help us now towards that aim. For your name, Jesus. Amen. We're going to look in just a minute. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians is kind of a short letter. Uh, closer to the back of your Bible than the front. You can look it up in the table of contents in the front. I do that quite a bit. Or you pull it up on your device. We'll have it on the screen for you. Um, Colossians chapter 1. As you're turning there, I'll tell you that, that I don't know what the teenage styles of middle Georgia were in the late nineties. Okay. But I'm pretty good at remembering what the teenage styles of middle Alabama were in the late nineties where I was. And and towards the end of my high school experience, you really couldn't do better in terms of fashion for a teenager than to have something, anything, any garment, any bag, anything that had a little blue and white and red logo on it that said Tommy Hilfiger, right? Right. I'm hearing chuckles, so maybe it was a thing here, right? But it was like you wanted Tommy Hilfiger everything. Socks, it's like nobody's going to see my socks because I wear jeans every day, but I want the logo on the socks, right? I need it on the socks. I want Tommy Hilfiger everything. I remember for one of my birthdays, I think it was either 16 or 17, opening from my parents a bag and a brand new Tommy Hilfiger T-shirt. It was black, looked sleek, big logo, had a name uh, embroidered there on the front, thought it was awesome. I was so pumped to get that t-shirt, the only problem came after about three or four washes and I started to notice some things, right? I started to notice that some of the the threads that had been embroidered were starting to come undone and untangled. It didn't really look real sharp. I started to notice that though the shirt was black, it it had faded already in three ways and so the collar was black and the shirt looked a little more ash gray, right? It was even, it just, just didn't look good. It looked like maybe somebody let their dog sleep on it for a while. I don't know if you've seen those kind of shirts, right? I started to notice things like the, the little hem on, on the sleeve had started to come undone. And so it started to dip down in one spot and hang down lower than it was supposed to. And I remember, I don't know how the conversation came up, but I remember when my mom told me, well, yeah, we, we got that shirt for you down there uh, in the middle of town at the Old Town Square. We bought it at the video store. Some of y'all don't even know what a video store is, right? A video store used to be this place where if you wanted to watch a movie, you had to physically go somewhere to borrow that from somebody and give them some money. Then you come back home and watch the movie. They bought me a Tommy Hilfiger shirt from a video store in Adamsville, Alabama. I'm just letting you know, I don't have to ask. They didn't have a license to be selling Tommy Hilfiger clothing, all right? Blockbuster Hits video was not, it just wasn't the place, right? I, I had an imposter. I had a, I had a fake Tommy the only thing worse than not having a Tommy is having a fake Tommy, right? I had a fommy, right? Right, it was not good. It was a little bit embarrassing when I realized it was fake. And yet there's also a sense, right, in which it was still better than not having any shirt. Right? I mean, that would be embarrassing to walk into high school no shirt on. I don't care how buff you are. That's an embarrassing moment. Probably gets cold, right? Lots of things going on when you're shirtless at school. It was better than nothing, but it wasn't the real deal. You've been there before. Some, some of us even on purpose sometimes will purchase the knockoff, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Some of you have had some fake Oakley sunglasses before, some Folklies. You've had them, right? Some of you have fake watches, Folexes. You've had one, right? Says Rolex, looks good. What's wrong with it, right? You, you've had it. You've been there. You've done it. The, the biggest place I've seen it in, in my purchasing for others, is, and ladies, I'm just going to speak to this for a second, is in purse world and handbags, did you, uh, women apparently even want the fake ones sometimes. I mean, it's like, I, I remember buying one for my wife and being blown away at how much the fake one cost. I was like, if this is the knockoff, how much is the real one? Like I could have come and gotten a real one, but I'd have had to walk home and trade my car for it because the fake one is more than I had ever imagined. There's, there's nothing wrong with a knockoff at times, but you can tell if you look closely enough and you can tell definitely with a little bit of wear and tear, and actually using it, you can usually tell that, that it's not the genuine article. That, that same thing is true of the church, of Jesus' people, especially the further we push into really getting to know people, really connecting with others in the way the Bible talks about, not just you know kindness, cordial hello on Sundays, but really getting to know people, putting your sin out there, and letting somebody fight that sin with you through prayer and accountability and encouragement. Putting your struggles out there and your brokenness and trusting somebody to, to walk through that with you and maybe help you in that burden. When you start walking into those kind of places, you're either going to see or you're not going to see some kind of hallmarks of authentic Christian community and That's why, especially at this time of year, where we're about to start up with community groups and we're going to talk, I have a little info for you at the end of service about discipleship groups, as we're about to kick those things back off, which are places for us to push into relationships with others and grow further in Christ together. When we're about to do that, it's the perfect time for us to consider kind of what are some of these hallmarks. And so we're starting today a Bible study series, be seven weeks, possibly eight, talking to the Lord about that still, right, called Trademarks. What we want to see is what are some of the identifiers of authentic Christian community where we push past the plastic, we push past the surface, and we can tell this is what Scripture says. These kind of things start happening when we really get to know each other. Here's how we want to interact with each other. Here are some practices for us. So even if you're not part of DBC and you're, you're not going to push into community groups, that's, that's fine. The, the Scripture tells us right that you cannot be a follower of Jesus faithfully on your own. There's tons of stuff in Scripture that you have to do with other people. It's impossible. And so this is for everybody today. Maybe you're here and you're not even a follower of Jesus. You need to hear that there's a group of people who are torn and tattered and broken and imperfect just like you. But they're striving to figure it out together. And there's a Savior who makes it all worthwhile. No matter how you come today, I hope that we are encouraged as we see some marks of authentic Christian community. And today and and next week, we're actually going to start... Before we get to some of the practices, we're going to just start with, with kind of some baseline information. A couple of things we need to know. So right before you start to drive a, a car, you, you kind of need to understand the, the basic premise is that it's for transportation. It's to transport you which sounds a weirder when I just said it that way. That sounds like, anyway, science, sci-fi, I don't know. Anyway, it's to get you from one place to another. You, you need to understand basic ideas about safety. It's not a good idea to hit the other cars. These are kind of baseline things you need to have before you start the practice of driving. We're going to hit a couple of baseline thoughts this week and next week, and then we're going to jump into practices of authentic Christian community. All right? Colossians chapter 1, what's going on? Who wrote it? Written by the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote so much of the New Testament, probably the most well known Christian in the history of Christianity, other than Jesus himself. You can see in Acts chapter 19 that this guy, Paul, was preaching in a place called Ephesus for a while. And as people started to trust the gospel and hope in Jesus alone that a church sprung up. There were multiple people believing in Jesus together, and that's a church. They were committed to each other. They were doing life there in Ephesus. And it's believed, though not directly stated from Scripture, that there was a guy from a not-too-far-away place called Colossae. His name is Epaphras. We believe that he probably came to faith in Jesus through hearing the preaching of Paul at Ephesus and went back to his place, and he told everybody there in Colossae about Jesus, and all of a sudden there was a church in Colossae, and so Paul is writing to them the Colossians. We know from, I believe, chapter 4, verse 7 of of Colossians that Epaphras had come to visit Paul while Paul was in prison. And he came to visit him, probably check on him, encourage him, probably also shared with him that in the Colossian church, After the teaching of Jesus had come, someone came, as so often happens, behind that teaching. They had a different idea. They had a different philosophy, a different teaching. And so Paul is writing to this church to get them back on gospel course, to kind of set them back straight on, hey, here's some things that you're hearing that are going to lead you astray. I want to make sure you you hear the truth again. I want to refresh it for you. We're going to pick up in verse 24. So far, Paul has just uh, greeted them In grace, and he's proclaimed the universal lordship of Jesus. It's kind of what's been going on. We pick up in verse 24. It says this. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully no be easy for us to read some parts of these verses and and be easily confused cuz they're kind of confusing it says here that Paul says he's he's filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Jesus he's he's going hey, it sounds like he's saying hey there's something deficient about what Jesus has done i'm kind of adding the extra i just want to make sure you hear that that disagrees with everything else Paul's ever written about grace that can't be what he's saying it's not what he's saying, Jesus in and of himself and what he has done at the cross and in his resurrection is completely sufficient for us to have acceptance from God and forgiveness from God and know him. What Paul is saying, I believe, there's there's a few different theories. What I believe Paul is saying there is this. I believe he's saying Jesus suffered to secure our salvation. He did all of the suffering necessary for us to experience the grace of God. Yet there's a space for us as his people also to suffer to carry that message forward saying, I'm suffering. We know that Paul suffered physically. He, he had emotional despair at times. He was almost killed multiple times, and now he's riding from prison. And he's saying, I have these sufferings. And that's filling up what is lacking, or we might say carrying on further the mission of Jesus. Jesus has done everything to save us. We're carrying the message. And he says about it, <laughs> I hope you didn't miss this because this sounds really different from anything we might usually say. He said at the beginning of verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings. We're going to come back around to this idea at the end so we won't spend much time here now. But just to make sure you hear what Paul is saying, he's saying it hurts and I like it. (laughs) It's painful for me to serve you, to lead you, to tell you about Jesus. It's painful and I'm hyped about it. It made me think of the greatest boxer in all of history, a guy named Rocky Balboa. And if you've seen, there's one of the movies, and I think it may be Three and Mr. T, Clever Lane, coming. I don't know which movie it is for sure, but there's one movie where Rocky's trying to fire himself up and trying to defeat the other guy mentally, and so he's just letting the guy punch him in the face, and he's saying, ain't so bad, ain't so bad, again, again, another, another. It's like he's getting hit in the face, and he's going, please, hit me again. Right? Paul's going, hey, I rejoice." I'm happy about my sufferings for your sake. Good grief. How in the world could we actually say that? Have you ever been really truly able to say, "Hi, I'm, I'm glad that it's going hard for me so that it can help you? How can you get there? I think we see some of it even in these first couple of verses. Paul can gladly suffer for followers of Jesus because he understands how important... It is for them to have this joint identity as a church. You're going to see it in verses 24 and 25. Who's he talking to? He uses a couple of different words there to say. He says, you, the plural pronoun, you, right? I'm talking to you, church. The way this letter would have been originally received would have been, it would have come into town. They would have called the whole church together, and everybody would have listened to it being read out loud together. So the you here is, yes, it applies to you personally, but it's not meant to be only that. This is a collective you. He says, i I'm happy to suffer for you. I was made a a steward and a minister of the message of the gospel for your sake. He calls them you. There's another place where he calls them the church. He says, you are the church. And then he throws this other term in there that we might have skipped over a little bit in our minds. He says, you're the, the body of Christ. You can look at 1 Corinthians 12, gives a, a big long talk about how the body of Christ is, is interdependent upon each other, interconnected. Right? The hand goes, I don't like being a hand. It's like, well, you can't just cut the hand off and throw it away. <laughs> I don't know if you know this about your body, but from time to time we have slight issues and it doesn't always end up perfectly 100% this way, but the body is intended to always be the body together. Now, I've had some of my hair run off lately. I don't know what's going on. It's all right back in here, so I'm like 99% where I started. Actually, I'm probably still 100 because some of it's run to the back of my ears. That's a whole other thing. I don't know why I said that, but you love me anyway, right? right? But, but it's intended that the body sticks together, stays together, works together, and it depends upon each other. A hand just kind of hanging out, doing life by itself is not going to accomplish much without messages from the brain about what to do, without support from the arm to lift the hand to do what it needs to do. There's an interconnectivity, there's a dependence there that I think is important because Paul is saying, I'm writing this to you all. You're hearing messages that would try to carry you away from the gospel, but you are a people who together have put your trust and your hope in Jesus. That's who you are, and you are the body of Christ, and you are the church. (laughs) Hope you catch this today if you don't hear much else. Being the church is not merely a matter of association, but a blessing of identity. (laughs) When we come to Christ as followers of Jesus, here's something that probably is not told to us enough, right? Like people who, pastors and people who are leading us toward faith probably need to mention this more often. It's not just a complete identity change for you from primary identity of sinner to primary identity of saint in Jesus Christ, which is awesome. It's also a big-time shift in your identity collectively from the world into the church. When you become a follower of Jesus, you become part of the capital C Church. Some of you are going I didn't know this was one of those capital C churches. What does that mean? Right there's the church, right? Local church, we're one of those, but there's also the capital C church proper now. It's the difference between me being a dad, you could say hey, he's a dad, and me being the dad of three kids. They call me dad. The church is composed of the followers of Jesus Christ. And what I want to empower you with today and what I want to encourage you with today and what I want to challenge you with today is this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the church. (laughs) Whether you've ever thought about it before, whether you take that call seriously, whether you view it as a blessing, whether you're not even sure exactly what the church is supposed to be about, you are the church if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If that's true in your heart, that you belong to him, you are the church. Unfortunately, in our, our culture, I think, Sometimes we've made it so easy to to be around a church and kind of be with the church and won't really clarify that you are the church, and God has a whole lot of honor and dignity stored up in that, and he also has expectation. He also has so much opportunity to change the world in that. And when we don't realize it, when we don't function as if that's an important role for us as a collective, then the church and its impact is minimized. One of my best friends, his name is Wally. I'll never forget a phone call from him, the early 2000s. He had gone at one point several months earlier and and done a Bible study for, I think, two weeks and maybe prayed with some some students on a community college campus, not far from where we lived. And several months later, I'll never forget, I get a phone call from him, and he is freaking out. You just have to know him, but he's just freaking out. He's like me. He can get up in his head and worried about some stuff quick. He said, man, they made me the campus minister. I was like, what? He, I was like, who made you the campus? He's like, man, they made me the campus minister. The guy from the campus up at Bevel State was the name of the cost. They made me the campus minister. I was like, dude, I don't know. Did you, were you trying to be a campus? No, I wasn't trying to be a campus minister. I didn't know I was one until I found this little pamphlet when I was having lunch with a friend on campus. I picked this thing up, was thumbing through it. They got me listed as the campus minister. <laughs> So whoever he's ministering to and whoever he's going to lead to Jesus on campus, man, they're having gloomy days because he doesn't even know that's what he's doing, right? He's not filling in that role for whoever's sitting in that office going, got that role Check. got that role checked, campus minister, he's there, right? They're wrong. <laughs> he never even knew it was his. And so he's not able to function in what has been given to him, that opportunity, that expectation, He's missing that honor, and people that would be blessed by him are missing that honor. And today, listen, it's, it's such a delicate thing to talk about sometimes. I want to make sure you hear me. I'm not here to challenge you towards embracing the identity of being the church because I'm a pastor. I, I don't, as far as I know, I, I don't get paid more. I don't get bonus. I, like, none of that happens if the churches people are more excited about being the church or if more people say, yes, I'm the church. None of that. That's not the deal. I'm a pastor because I'm excited about the church. (laughs) And I believe in what God can do through the church if and when we embrace the fact that being the church is not just like an association. We go, yeah, yeah, I'm part of that one. I go there. (laughs) But instead, we realize that just like a, a body that's so intricately woven together, God's plan is that we are together in that same way, functioning together, committed to Carrying out his mission. Is that you? Because here's the deal. Whether we ever step into that. Whether we take our whole heart and both feet. And just jump into that that God has given us. Knowing that we're not going to do it perfectly. But saying I'm going anyway. Whether we do that or not. The opportunity, the expectation is still there. So whether we step up to the plate and go yes I'm going to be. The church, I'm going to be who I'm called to be, or we don't, there's still a need for the church. It's either being met or it's not. Do you take pride? Do you take honor? Do you take joy in being the church? Notice, I haven't even said anything about this church. I'm just talking about do you take pride, do you take honor, and do you make decisions and commitments based on how do I stay committed to and connected with these people? So that together we can see God do something so much bigger than he could ever do just with me. What does you being the church look like? What does it look like in your life? What in the world could make people who are so different in so many ways come together in such an intimate way? We'll see it. Verse 26. Paul says, he's just said in verse 25, I was made a steward, a minister of the gospel." So he says, I get to come and tell you the Gospels, what he's just said. And then he picks it back up in 26. He says, it's the mystery, talking about the Gospel, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. When Paul is talking about this mystery, he's not talking about some kind of mystic, hidden, you have to know just the right way to say the, the chant or do the thing to figure out the truth about God. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying for hundreds of years, God was laying out the fact that we are sinners and desperate before a holy God. And he was laying out and prophesying in, in the Old Testament that there's going to be a Savior coming who's going to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf if we would only just hope in him. We're forgiven. We're accepted. He said He's he's been saying that for a long time, but the picture was not clear he didn't give the whole story he didn't lay it all out dot by dot all the way and he's going now that part that we didn't know that part that was mysterious to us now we have seen the mystery and we know what it is it's that God meets his own perfect righteous standards in his son Jesus for us as you've seen the mystery and he says here, here it is it's not just some facts out there in the distance about a Jesus who dies for you he says no, no no the hope of glory is this underline this in your heart in your mind the hope of glory is not distant truths it says Christ in you Christ in you that, that Jesus himself would dwell in you through the, the presence of his spirit So he's not just giving you coaching from the sidelines. He's with you in all things. Our source of unity and the fuel for our joint effort together as a church is the personal presence of Jesus. And when we forget that we're coming here when we come and assemble on a Sunday morning, when we forget that we're coming here to be with him and not just do things about him, When we wake up each day and maybe read a few verses and say a prayer real quick so that we can feel good that we've done some stuff for him or towards him, but we forget that we're doing it with him, we're missing out missing out on the personal presence of Jesus that's promised to us in the gospel and only he will be able to unite people who are so different, people who sometimes have conflict with each other yet he is strong enough to say if you'll acknowledge your central need and your central brokenness apart from Jesus and acknowledge the hope that you have in Jesus, you can thrive together you can make sense to lots of people because there's lots of different stuff going on in this collective and you actually love and care for each other Because you've seen how Jesus loves and cares for you. Make sure you see this as well. Finished out that verse, verse 28. He says, listen, here's what I'm aiming for. Here's why we're proclaiming all these things to you. The end of verse 28. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Didn't say that we may present a lot of people saved in Jesus That we might get a lot of people to come and say that they're part of the church family. That we get a lot of people to put their name on the roll or the roster. It's not the deal at all. He says, we want to keep going from there and lead people to be mature. The church is primed for impact when it cares about both reaching people and maturing people. So many times, and, and I've been prone to this myself as a leader in the church, just as much as anybody, but so many times we get so zoned in and focused on we're going to reach the whole world that that we forget and we're a little bit lacking in what it means to actually help followers of Jesus know what it means to be followers of Jesus and mature and grow up in their faith. Conversely, it's it's really easily to go, we're going to really, really pour into these people here and help them grow and mature in their faith. And yet we fail to realize that if there's not something happening in the hearts of those who are mature in Christ that says, I want to reach people, then there's some maturity still lacking. We fail to be a safe place for people to take their next steps in faith. And we become zoned in on, on our mature facts and theology, which is good stuff. just can't be the only stuff. It's fixing to be football season, if anybody wants to say amen, I'm with you, right? If anybody wants to say roll tight, anyways, right? Uh, right, But it's fixing to be football season. One of my biggest, like, unimportant regrets, I have bigger regrets that are, like, relational and God stuff, but just kind of, like, life stuff regrets is that I didn't play football. I actually finally talked my mom into it the summer before seventh grade. I went all summer long to the workouts and kind of run-through kind of practices where they'd line us up and tell us to do different skills and whatever, right, how to backpedal if you're a defensive back, these different things, how to, how to hold the ball. Right. We made it to the first practice where we were going to put our pads on. I went out there having never played football before in my life in any kind of organized fashion. Just as a side note, my mom sent me in a pink hypercolor t-shirt over my pads. If you don't remember hypercolor, (laughs) Google it, okay? Uh, it, It changes color. The hotter you get, the different color. It's amazing. I don't know why it's not still a thing. But my mom sent me out there in a pink one for my first day of practice. Pink is cool now for dudes. I got a little pink on my shoes. But back in the day, pink wasn't what you were trying to do as a seventh grade dude, all right? So I'm out there, never played football, big baggy pink shirt of my sisters, right? The only one big enough to fit over my pads, hanging down to my knees. I'm out there. Nobody has ever taught me how to tackle. They just put us out there, seventh through ninth grade guys, and go line up across from each other. So I remember lining up across from this guy named Willie. Willie was in eighth grade. He looked like he was probably supposed to be in about 13th grade. All right. And the drill was, if you play played football, you know, like one guy just kind of walks or jogs in, in your direction. You're supposed to run up and tackle him, practice on your form. So I remember like, all right, here I go, right? Here comes the pink pellet. I'm thinking to take Willie out, right? <laughs> and I remember running at him, and I remember going at him with everything I had, and the next thing I remember is laying on my back, looking up at the sky, unclear. I'm sure for everybody watching, who was supposed to be tackling who, right? Willie done ran straight past me. He, if it were a game, he's in the end zone, right? They move us on to another station. We're doing another tackling drill. It's like a slant tackling drill. This guy named Jonathan Williams, I'll never forget, just because he was big and strong. And, and I was supposed to tackle him at an angle. And man, he, I think, literally stepped on my chest cavity, right? Like he just ran the smack over me. I remember a coach's head coming into my view in my face mask. And he was like, Who's tackling? Who? Are you? And I was like, I don't know, coach. <laughs> <laughs> and that day, unfortunately, I was so defeated by not knowing what to do and therefore not being able to do it that I went and I turned in my paths and never played football again. I know, right? Which is, you know, God's sovereignty. I would probably play a quarterback in the NFL right now instead of here with you, right? (laughs) That wasn't wasn't supposed to be that funny. Anyway, um, but what I'm saying to you is this. It's awesome to get to say that you're on the team. It's awesome to have a big team. It's awesome to have new guys sign up and everybody's excited. I remember the day I got my pads, my friend Clay came and knocked on my front door. Before I went to the door, I went and put my shoulder pads, my helmet on, opened the door, like, yeah! Right? Like, it's exciting, right? We want that. That should happen. We should be aiming for that. And yet, and still, we shouldn't only aim for that to the extent that we leave the people who are the team untrained, unled, not knowing how to grow up in Christ. Jesus' purpose for his church is to advance the gospel as far as possible and to teach those who accept it to grow up in it. It's in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, having them baptized, and then it says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. The church is primed for impact when we focus both on reaching, both on loving and serving those who may not know Jesus, And we also keep a focus on helping people grow up in Christ. Do you today know that you have next faith steps that have been wearing on your heart for a while and you haven't taken them? But maybe it's time to step in. Step in, mature a little bit. Maybe you need some help with that. Maybe you're going, I would love to grow up in Christ. I need somebody to help me. I want to challenge you, encourage you. Find somebody that you know in this church loves you and go to them and go, hey, can we get together? I need to talk. Come find me and go, hey, I want help walking forward with Jesus. We don't have the answers. Nobody in this room does, but we'd love to help you. Paul finishes out this section of verses. He says in verse 29, For this I toil. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So God is working the energy in him. God is providing the energy, flipping the switch inside of him. And Paul is going with everything that he's doing inside of me. I'm straining and leveraging all of that. And I'm toiling at that. I'm I'm struggling, straining hard at that. Because you, the church, matter that much to me. Which kicks us back up to what he said in verse 24. This is why Paul can rejoice in his sufferings. For their sake last summer not, not this past one the one before we were at the lake for the fourth of July with some family my son was four at that point he wasn't real big on the idea of wearing a life jacket we made him some we let him have some freedom a little bit but at one point we wanted to jump off the boat everybody did and swim from the pontoon boat over to this big rope swing up on the rocks and because I'm dad I thought, I can't let them do something cool that I'm not gonna do. I gotta show them. So I swam on over there, and four year old son wants to go with me, so he goes with me. And there's this picture. It's one of my favorite pictures, one of the favorite pictures I've ever had. It's a picture of me and my four year old son, Freeman, and we're coming back from the rope swing over by the rocks, and we're coming back to the boat. But because he doesn't have a life jacket on, the way he's getting back to the boat, is that he's got his arms wrapped around my neck. As I'm swimming in the water, he's on top of me in the water. And they caught the picture at just the right time, and both of us are smiling, looking like we're having one of those dad-son moments that's going to last forever, and it is, right? Because it was a cool moment. But let me tell you what else was happening. While I was smiling and while he was talking to me, and was kind of giggling and like, Dad, we're doing this, Dad. I'm like, yeah, we are, dude. And I'm smiling for the camera and the whole thing. On the inside, I was also going, I wonder how it feels to drown. Like, like, there are a couple of things. I'm not scared of a lot of things, but, like, to drown, to, to be burned to death are things that I'm like, that sounds long and painful. Like, I want quick pain, like a train. You know what i mean? But... but <laughs> As I'm swimming back in the inside, I'm going, I'm way more out of shape than I've ever realized. I'm carrying a four-year-old on my back and then probably the weight of a four-year-old that I shouldn't have on my front. And I'm, I'm trying to get us back to the boat. And on the inside, I'm going, this is torture. And on the outside, I'm going, I love this. And both of those things at the same time were true. It was really, really hard, and it was one of my favorite moments ever. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. I'm in for your sake, church. I came to your area and I proclaimed this gospel to you even though people opposed me beat me, whipped me with rods I put in that sacrifice I'm willing to go to that extent because for me this pain is also so incredibly joyful only Christ-like love can make suffering for the church joyful to the church The only thing that's ever going to make us truly go, I got some joy in this, even though it's hard. It's not going to be because we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and go, Mom and Dad told me I'm supposed to be part of church. I got to do this or I'm going to feel guilty. That's not going to carry you. Might for a while, but not for the long haul. It's the proper thing to do in the South. I'm going to, quote, unquote, be the church, not going to carry you forever. The only thing that is way more than enough to carry us as we grow and learn and figure out more and more about what it means To be a true Christian community of people together is the love of Christ. That we would look at him and see him and say to him, I depend on you and see him fulfill every one of those needs that we're dependent on him for. As he does that in our lives individually, as he does that as we serve each other, bear each other's burdens, we're going to talk about that stuff in coming weeks. Only thing that's going to make it joyful for us to truly strive hard and strain after Jesus as a church is the love of Jesus. So, what do you do with this today? For some of us, right, maybe that you just accept your identity as the capital C church. You just go, hey, you know what? I, I, I've, I've kind of maybe been a little lax on my thinking about what it means for me to be the church. But the way that God talks about it in scripture. Followers of Jesus for the church, and I'm a follower of Jesus. And so, man, I want to figure out what it means for me to go find that person, like we said earlier, and, and get together with them, talk about how I can follow him more. I want to figure out how maybe God wants to use me to serve some other followers of Jesus. Maybe it's just that, accepting your identity. Listen, maybe it's, by the way, making the commitment to commit to a local church. And just before you get all, like, been out of shape about pastor saying you should join the church, but listen, this church isn't going to be for everybody. We know that. We love you, even if that's you, and, and we'll do our best to help you find the church that is if we can help you. But I would strongly encourage you man, that the, sh- the scriptures give a very clear precedent for the church knowing who the church is. And I can strongly encourage you from a practical standpoint. I can be a much better pastor in certain instances when I know who the church is that I'm pastoring. I want to encourage you, not because I say so, but if God would impress upon your heart to commit to being the church, because remember, you're the church either way. Commit to be in the church with a local church. If, if that, for you, if you're interested in what that means here, come find me when we're done. Love to talk with you about that. Lastly, maybe for some of us today, it means taking the step of joining a community group. And going, I don't know how it's ever going to work because we've got the kids and the practices. And I'm already so tired that I'm having trouble staying awake today. But I'm going to say yes to this. Can I be honest with you? I've been part of community groups for the last probably 15 years, and and I've even led them. I've even been the pastor of the church that, that put them out and, and promoted them, and facilitated them. And there, there were weeks where I wake up and I'm like, man, I don't want to go to this group right now. <laughs> this is my Sunday afternoon nap, and I'm waking up to go to group. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I, some of y'all may be mad, right? If you're going to throw things, just give me a minute. Let me finish, right? But there are times, even as the pastor, where it's not my favorite thing in the world, but there are also many, many times where even though my flesh is going, uh-uh, no more, stop, don't. When I push through, man, there have been some amazing people of God that God has done some really awesome things in my life through. And he's let me hopefully be an encouragement to them. For some of us today, it may mean making that step, making that commitment. It may mean expressing interest in being part of a discipleship group, which we're going to hopefully get kicked off pretty soon. What does it mean for you to gladly wrap your arms around the reality that you're the church? I'm going to trust God to lead you in that. Let me pray for us. God, it's so good to sing with your people. It's so good to open your word with your people. God, and even more than that, it's so good to be excited to see my brothers and sisters that you've tied me together with, for them to encourage my heart. God, we want to be your church with all the beauty and splendor that you view it with, Jesus. To do that, we're going to need your help. We need you to turn that energy in us. We need you to convict us and call us to where maybe things need to be a little different in our lives and how we relate to the idea of church and the people who are the church. Help us, God. Start with me. Help us. Not that we would take some kind of humanistic pride in in being the church. Not that we would go and brag about DBC. None of that stuff. That you, Jesus, would be lifted up in our lives and in our sharing of life together. And that people would see you and know you. As you use us to bear their burdens. Would you lead us in what that looks like more and more? Right now, God, I'm asking you... Please make clear to our hearts, to each of our hearts, if you have actions for us to take in worshipful response to your word today. God, make it clear to us and give us the courage. Let us see the benefit as we walk in faithfulness and let us glorify you only for it. Lead us, God. We trust you to do that. We love you for doing it. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.